From WGCU News, this is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Karen Parsons spent six years playing the ditzy character Hillary on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. The show was huge in the culture in the 1990s. It ran for six seasons beginning in 1990 and left an indelible mark on pop culture in the U.S. Her character Hillary was and is truly beloved by fans everywhere. What fans didn't know is that during her time playing Hillary, Parsons was devoting quite a bit of her own personal time to writing short fiction and learning about history, particularly inspiring and empowering stories of African-American achievement. And once she set acting aside in the early 2000s and had her first child, Parsons decided it was time to take her passion for writing and history seriously and so founded a nonprofit called Sweet Blackberry. They would turn her stories about little-known African-American figures, ones that she thought would pique the imaginations of young people, into short films and picture books. Sweet Blackberry has produced five videos and two picture books since 2005, and Parsons published her first young adult novel called How High the Moon in 2019. It's inspired by her mother's childhood stories of being a young person growing up in South Carolina during the time of Jim Crow. Parsons will be on the Florida Gulf Coast University campus tomorrow, March 30th, for a presentation called Journey of Unsung Heroes. It starts at 6 and is free and open to everyone. I spoke with her yesterday. Let's hear that conversation now. Karen, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So I heard you say that you hated history as a kid. And that seems kind of funny since you focused a fair amount of your life focusing on history. So what turned that around for you? It's true. It's so weird when I think about it. I really I didn't like history. History was, I think, the way it was always brought to me. Um, it was, I didn't understand the relevance all the time. I think it was, it was all about memorizing dates and, you know, it was in these big fat books with little tiny words and black and white pictures. And, you know, it just was, it just seemed like, what is this? I don't understand. Nobody was trying to relate to me where I was. Nobody, it just seemed like it was just like, let's just pound it out. And, um, you know, years later, my mother, uh, my mother was a librarian my whole growing up. And as an adult, when she was heading the Black Resource Center where she worked, she'd come across stories that she found particularly interesting. Or, and she would share them with me. She'd call me and share them with me. And she told me one day the story of Henry Box Brown, the enslaved man who literally mailed himself to his freedom in a box. Had a box built, got inside, had it nailed shut, postage applied, and sent to someone who would receive him in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, across state lines. He was in Virginia. And he survived this 27-hour journey by wagon, boat, train, and they opened it. And he, he was alive. He was across state lines. And now it was, there was no slavery where he had landed. So he was a free man. And this is a true story. <laughs> and I just found that to be the most fascinating thing, most remarkable story. And I couldn't also believe it. I had never heard it. And I would tell my friends about it. My friends hadn't heard it. And I was like, well, this is just so crazy. This man spent his life after that traveling the world telling this story, yet we didn't know it. Nobody seemed to have heard of it. And so I thought, God, but it makes so much sense for kids, like a, a man in a box and the secret and then his triumph, you know, all that determination to do something so radical and then the triumph of it. It's, it's 
wonderful for kids, you know, and his story is important and them learning what perseverance can do. So I was real excited about doing that, but then it would take me years to get off my butt and put it in motion. So uh, I thought about it a lot. <laughs> so how long between, um, you know, learning about his story and then releasing, because that was your first release for Sweet Blackberry, right? Was uh, was, was the video. So, you know, yeah. was, was understanding and knowing his story part of what made you decide to create Sweet Blackberry or did it just Absolutely. so happen? It was yeah. then, okay. Yeah, his story was the impetus ultimately for it. It took me a while. It wasn't until, you know, I talked about Henry's, Henry Box Brown's story with people over the years and my desire to get a, a line of books out to kids because I would uncover more and more stories. And I wanted to have these stories about little known people in black history. People you just didn't, in school, you hear about a handful of people, great stories, but there were so many more. And um, it wasn't until I was pregnant with my first child, my daughter, Lana, who now is 19. Um, when I was pregnant with her, I started thinking a lot about my responsibility as a parent. Like, what do I teach my kid? What do I supplement her education with? Like, what do they teach them at school? What do I want her to know that maybe they're not teaching? Like, you know, I was going on and, it, and so it made me talk about Henry Box Brown a lot about this idea. And my husband finally was like, you know, you need to stop talking so much and do it. Hmm. <laughs> this, is, you know, this is important. And I think you need to just get off your butt and, and make this thing happen. And so I had no idea where to begin. But I just started telling people what I wanted to do. And, and it's so great when you're, when you're really excited about something, how people who have no idea how to help you exactly will say, you know, I have a cousin who draws or I have a, I know somebody who does this. And maybe you could do, people start to get excited and, you know, they go going through all of their, their numbers and people and people were trying to help me. And next thing you know, I, I was making a short animated film about with Alfre Woodard as the narrator. I was writing it. And that was that would be the first story, The Journey of Henry Box Brown, the first of my nonprofit organization, Sweet Blackberry. Where did you get the name Sweet Blackberry? <laughs> um I, I was it's so funny, people always ask me and I always feel like I was I should make up a really good story. <laughs> um, the truth of the matter was, you know, I my daughter was a little baby at the time and we called her Lana Berry, very affectionate little Lana Berry, Lana Berry this, Lana Berry that. And so Somehow, when we were tossing names in the hat, Blackberry came up, and we kind of along the the Lana Berry feel, the Blackberry, hey little Berry thing. And one of the people who was starting the organization with me, my my animator at the time, Gina Kamensky, said, "Oh, well, you can't do Blackberry because that's a device." And I I didn't know what she meant. <laughs> Just to tell you how long ago it was. I was like, "What do you mean a device?" She's like, you know, it's a, a device. And I felt like she was being really shady. So I didn't push it. I just kind of left it alone. And um, of course, later would find out what a BlackBerry phone was shortly after. But um, so I, I left it alone, but, but we tagged on Sweet. You know, oh, so how about Sweet BlackBerry, you know, and put that together with a few other names and just ask people, what do you think? And 100% of the people loved Sweet BlackBerry. So it's stuck. Well, it does have a nice ring to it. Um, it does. So, so since 2005, you've put out, I'm going to get, was it five videos that were, I think, originally released on DVD? I'm presuming they're mm -hmm. at least somewhat delivered digitally now? Yeah, there, there are four films. There oh, are four, four films. okay. Um, there's The Journey of Henry Box Brown. Um, there is Garrett's Gift, which is, is the story of Garrett Morgan, the inventor. 
of the traffic signal. Um, there's Dancing in the Light, which is the story of Janet Collins, the first black prima ballerina, uh, incredible story. And the fourth one is about Bessie Coleman, Flying Free, about Bessie Coleman, first black female, black and Cherokee female aviator, uh, pilot. And those last, oh, no, no, that one and Garrett's Gift were both also made into books published by Little Brown. The uh, Garrett's Gift, Garrett Morgan story is actually entitled Saving the Day as a book. And then also, and then we have Flying Free, the Bessie Coleman as a book as well. And then you, um, just a few years ago, well, I guess it's four years ago now, 2019 seems so recent, but you published a young adult novel. What made you decide to start yeah. trying your hand at longer form writing? Well, you know, I, it's so funny. I, when I was, um, you know, acted forever and that was my thing. And after the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air went off of the air, a friend of mine, one of my good friends, pushed me to start taking a writing course, a writing course at Santa Monica City College with a particular teacher. And she just really was just hell bent on me taking with this guy for some reason. She said, oh, you'll love it. I, you really have to. You have to. You have to. Promise me you will. So I did. And I did. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with writing. I loved how he was challenging us. I loved what, how, what I was learning about reading and writing. And and I just became, I, all that time and energy that I had used for six years on Fresh Prince, because I was single and didn't have, you know, much, you know, family responsibility or anything. I, um, I just spent that time writing. So I was writing a lot, short story fiction. And then years later, I would meet my husband and I would eventually start writing the Sweet Blackberry stories. But even when I was writing the Sweet Blackberry stories, I was writing them just thinking, well, someone has to do the writing. Someone has to put the, story, the script down. I wasn't, still wasn't, I was still like, I'm an actor, I'm an actor, I'm an actor. I wasn't telling myself that I was a writer and I certainly wasn't telling anyone else because I was, I think I was afraid to tell people because I was afraid I'd be dismissed since mm -hmm. I'd been an actor for so long. And I played Hillary, you know, for so long. Like, you know, I thought everybody would be like, you can write. I don't think so. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you can put two words together. So I didn't tell people. And I also was a little embarrassed that I was, ra you know, was raising two small children. I was having a hard time finding time to write. So I was also ashamed of that. And I felt like I can't tell people I'm a writer if I'm not writing all the time. Like, the, what is that? You know, right? So I just kept it to myself that I wanted to be doing that. And I even hid it so far from myself that I was actually doing it, writing the Sweet Blackberry stories. But a friend of mine who met me right after Fresh Prince and during the time that I was writing like that all the time, all day, he saw what saw him. He knew me from writing all day. And then he saw him might be doing the Sweet Blackberry things and bumped into him at a party. Hadn't seen him for a few years. When I first met him, he was a journalist doing a piece on me. That's how we met. Uh, years later, I bumped into him at a party, and he was now a literary agent. And and so I went to by his office. I thought I was gonna. He wanted me to come by. I thought he wanted me to pick him up to go hang out. And um, actually, he said, "I want you. I I think that it's time for you to write a novel. I want you to pitch me a novel." And I was like, "A novel? What? <laughs> You're like, what on earth are you talking about?" And um, it would seem so crazy because even when I was writing, I was writing short story fiction. And then I started doing the sweet blackberry thing. And it, I was just still thinking of them as 
the scripts for these animated films. And, um, but I took on the challenge. I came up with a couple ideas. I pitched one to him and it would become my first novel, How High the Moon, which I'm happy to say went on to do very well. What's the, the short version of what that's about, just so our listeners have a sense of it? Um, you know, it was inspired by my mother and her childhood growing up in the 1940s in the segregated South in a little town outside of Charleston, South Carolina. And she, my mom always, you know, reflected on her childhood as so happy and pleasant. <laughs> and I, it took me into my adulthood before I started to say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got to tell me a little more. You grew up in the segregated South. I want to know, how did you have such a happy childhood? You know, was there more to it than that? You know, and so I started pushing and, and so it's set in the backdrop of where she grew up. I wanted to put my own feet in her shoes and walk around a little and see what that looked like and how this was so. And I ended up creating a character, Ella, who's nothing like my mother or myself, feisty little thing. But Ella uh, lives with her grandparents and her, her cousins and her mother's in, up in Boston, up north, trying to be a jazz singer. But Ella, unlike everyone else, is very light-skinned. And they, she's teased a lot for the, the possibility that her father, who she doesn't know who he is, possibility that he's white. And so for her, she's dying to find out because she, she doesn't know what that means for her and the life that she's growing up in in this segregated world. And so she ends up finding out, visiting with her mother up north, finds out some things, some clues about her father. And when she goes back south and starts to investigate, she ends up finding out also that a good friend of hers, George Stinney Jr., 14-year-old, has been arrested for the murder of two little white girls. And this story, George Stinney is a real person, was a real person. And for people who are unaware, George Stinney Jr., uh, at 14 years old, was a the youngest person ever executed in the United States. There was a a trial, a very speedy trial. He was convicted and he was electrocuted. And um, many years later, the trial was brought back up and they found out that the whole thing had been a sham and it was all thrown out. But of course, this is after young George had already lost his life. And um, I had come across George's story many times in my research for Sweet Blackberry, looking at little known stories in black history, but his story wasn't inspiring or empowering. And so even though a lot of people didn't know about it, I had no way of bringing him to Sweet Blackberry, but he did grow up outside of, uh, or grow up, start to grow up outside of Charleston, South Carolina in the forties, like my mother. So not that far away. So it made sense that he ended up in this story and um, and an early version, he was in the background because I was just too, I think I was just too afraid to go, to bring him closer, any closer, um, but I was encouraged to bring him to the forefront. So I, I, I think that's good because people get to learn a little bit about this, this young man. Hmm. I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guest. Karen Parsons is founder and president of Sweet Blackberry, a nonprofit founded in 2005 that strives to bring little-known stories of African-American achievement to children, primarily through an award-winning series of children's animated films and books. Parsons is well-known by many for her role as Hillary on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. If you'd like to engage with the show about today's topic, just find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag 
hashtag GCL. So I got stuck in traffic this morning on the way to work, and so I Googled your name and podcast because I figured I could do some research while I was in the car. And I found, I found a, a podcast that you were on way back in 2010, uh, okay. Chuck and PJ. Do you remember that one? I remember the name. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was the early days of podcasts. But okay. one of the hosts was talking about, uh, you guys were talking about Black History Month, and he said that he wished that Black History Month didn't need to be a thing, that we could just have yep. Black History be a part of history. Yep. And there's been some pushback in recent years, which I will talk about in a little bit, but do you think since 2010, let's say, that some progress has been made in terms of bringing out stories of African-American history and black history in America that maybe weren't around in the culture before that? Absolutely. And I'm really happy to see, to see it. Um, I've, I'm really sensitive to seeing it because I've been doing Sweet Black Berry since 2005. Right, right, right. You know, so when I start to see things pop up, I'm like, oh, look, hey, look at that. Hey, look at that. Hey, look at that. Um, and I've seen from where, you know, I've gone from not seeing it and feeling like, wow, the people kept saying to me along the way early on, wow, you're really feeling a need. This isn't out there. This isn't out there. To now I can, you know, I, I mean, mind you, my algorithm probably points to a lot of black history <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but I see so much, um, so much more of people because of the because of social media too, right? People are posting things and then reposting them and then reposting them. And the, what's great is it's happening all year round. I'm being invited to visit um, schools across the country all year round. It isn't just like let's gear up for February. <laughs> let's gear up for February. You know, it's people are starting to understand. I think more things are getting out. And I think as a whole, even though we're, there's pushback. I think as a whole, a lot of people are starting to understand, hey, this is all of our history. This isn't just black history, you know, this is for me too. And this is for you. And like, this is for all of us to learn from. This is American history. And that's, I think, what's really great about it. And I don't want to get people to get it mixed up. You know, it's not like, you know, it's like, oh, this is, this is a special time, you know, for black people. And it's not, it's just not, it's not what it is. It's not for black people. It's black. It's history. We have Black History Month because it was necessary to highlight these stories, stories that we didn't hear about so much. But as we start to hear about more and more of them, and as people start to realize um, that these are American history stories, they, they're not just black history stories. It's just it's American history. We'll be able to start to phase that out. I would I would hope I imagine. Um, and we'll all be able to to benefit from learning from these stories that ha and contributions that help shape the country. You know, the interesting thing that for me, and you know, there's certain things like like you know the Tulsa massacre, like. Every, well, not everybody, but most people know about that now, at least partly because of the Watchmen TV show. But then, you know, I've since then learned about there's been there were two other massacres like that in Florida that I grew up in Florida. I'm a curious person. I had no yeah. idea about. So I've done shows about. So I'm trying to bring stuff like that forth. But yeah. what's interesting with the pushback is it's like the people pushing back say that this is rewriting history, where it seems pretty clear to me that it's just clarifying history. It's just illuminating what's really history, not rewriting history. Does that make yeah. sense to you? It absolutely does. And, and, and just hearing you say that, I think that a lot of people feel the way you do, that it's, it's just shedding light on some things that were in the dark or things, things we didn't know about. But I think that a lot of things, has, a lot has been politicized 
And so that it's more, you know, we're in such a time, such a divisive time and camps and all of this. And so a lot of people aren't looking further than, you know, the, the loud, you know, caption on a picture or what something's about. People go, yeah, me, you know, that's my camp. And so, yeah, rah, rah. But they don't necessarily look at the whole, what they're talking about. Because when I talk to people, most people are like, they're all about the truth and they're all about, you know, knowing more. And then they look at it, they recognize, like you said, this isn't rewriting history. It's illuminating history that's been that's been in the shadows or some history that has been deliberately buried. See, I think we also need to be honest and we need to be brave and look at the fact that not everything in the country's history is so pretty. And there were, there have been things that practices that have been racist in this country. Look, if we know what our whole history is, we understand where that racism came from. And so therefore things, some things were deliberately buried. And so, you know, it's good for us to recognize that and be like, ooh, you know, we're not like this. We're not people that want to do that. But there were some people along the way that were in positions where they could start to bury things and not talk about things, not put things in books. And then they start to be, they start to fade into the background. And it's just what happens. And I don't think, you know, nobody's trying to make anybody a bad guy. We're just trying to look at the truth. And we all want our children to have all the information. I think everyone would agree with that. We want our children to be informed, to look at everything and be able to make their own decisions based on what's in front of them. And um, so, I, I mean, so hiding things is certainly not the answer and automatically just um, parroting like, oh, bad, you know, this is, this is rewriting. It's like without looking into it, I don't think that that's helpful either. I think you need to look a little bit further. Most people, when they look into it, say, oh, you know, they get it. This is, they don't think that it's, uh, that it's um, rewriting. I don't think a lot of people do, really. I think that's more of a political thing. I think that's a good point. Um, you know, so many adults in this country, um, myself to some degree included, of all backgrounds, skin colors, we didn't really know a lot of these stories. Mm-hmm. I have a daughter who's about the same age as your daughter, and, and she's growing up in a, in a different world, being taught mm-hmm. different things and having a better understanding of the scope of history. Do you think that, you know, by the time our kids are grownups, that the world will reflect that because they, these kids have been raised in a way where they do have a better account of historical facts? It's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, I remember um, being feeling like the country had made tremendous advancement by being willing to elect a black man. And regardless of how you feel about Obama's politics, I think I was so surprised to see how many people had a problem with a black man, not the politics part, but just the race part. I was so surprised later to find how many people had a problem with a black man being in that position. Because I thought, you know, I grew up with free to be you and me. And, <laughs> I, you know, I was that kid. <laughs> and, um, and I'm biracial, you know, my dad's white. Um, and I just, I think I, I really, it's hard to tell sometimes when we think that we, we think that we're advancing and then there was like two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. I mean, there might be a little bit of that along the way. Um, it's hard to tell. I think sometimes there are other powers at play that would like to see everybody um, divided. And, um, and that's where we have to be careful as citizens. I think we have to be careful that we, we pay attention 
to the me to messaging and we're all making our decisions on our own. It's scary to me when things like, like I mentioned, the algorithms start to tell you and buffer you in a world that's all, that's everything you believe is all you're hearing about. And same with that person over there, everything that they think is kind of, is kind of encasing their bubble, you know, it's creating a bubble around their world so that it's easy for us to feel like, hey, how could you think that? It says in the news this, but their news is different from my news. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and so the algorithm thing really scares me because we should all be talking and communicating. That's what should be happening. We should all be communicating. That way we can say, hey, I don't agree with this and this is why. And the other person can say, but what about this? You know, we can talk like we used to. <laughs> And, and figure it out, not have these things come reflected back to us going, yeah, you're right, Karen. Yeah, you're right, Karen. Yeah, you're right, Karen. And, you know, and then I think that my little world and my little everything I think is all there is. I want us to open up and have discourse like we used to. And I think it's important that we try to do that in person because we tend to behave a lot better when oh. we're not we're not talking through screens, especially if we have the ability to be anonymous. Isn't that true? That's a whole other thing, isn't it? That uh, that anonymous, yeah. That's a that's a whole other thing. It, you know, I mean, I I don't want to knock the internet. There's so many good things that have come and that are there, but man, the the scary things that we didn't anticipate on a social level. You know, I have a 15 year old as well, and so we're always battling, and, and we're seeing how much it affects him too, just being a kid dealing with this stuff, like you said, having being people being able to be anonymous, people being able, curating their life and putting it out there and then everyone analyzing their own life based on the curated friends, the, live, the lives of their, the curated lives of their friends, you know? Yeah, we're certainly in the middle of a big experiment on ourselves yeah. and we don't know the, we don't know the data quite yet. Um, right. Last question before I let you go. So as I understand it, you pretty much put off acting in the early 2000s, not long before you started Sweet Blackberry. But I looked it up and IMDB has a couple of fairly recent <laughs> listings for you. A uh, short film in 2018 uh, called On Monday of Last Week, a feature film mm -hmm. called Sweet Thing in 2020, which looked to be a family affair. Um, mm -hmm. Any more on-screen work in your future, Karen Parsons? You know, I mean, not, those weren't expected. Um, you know, my husband made me do that film, that last <laughs> film, which actually went on, you know, did incredibly during the festival circuit before and after the pandemic and won several awards. And, and you know, I got to act with my daughter and my son and, um, and my, my husband, you know, directed. And so it was a really good experience. But I was, you know, I was all in my, you know, I'm writing, I have some work I have to do. He said, oh, it'll only take you a couple of days, I swear. And of course, you know however many days later. Um, but, but it was, you know, if he makes me do something else, you know, then that's, I'm married to the guy, so I might have to do it. Um, and if I'm, you know, if I encounter something along the way that, that really, you know, is exciting to me or interesting to me, maybe. Um, I didn't intentionally stop acting so much. I just stopped putting in, you know, the effort so much into it. It's hard to do halfway. You know, it's it's something like like a lot of things where if you need if you're going to do it, you need to put your put yourself into it completely. And it's hard otherwise. So 
no plans right now. I have so many things I want to do on the writing front, but never say never. <laughs> Could you even imagine ever winding up back on TV in a long running show like Fresh Prince? can't could not I can't imagine that <laughs> I can't imagine that I'm such a different person than the person who signed on and did that show you know so why when I think of the world how I lived then um I can't even begin to imagine being married with children and doing that hmm. and who I am now and where my head is now oh my goodness all right. Well, that is unfortunately all the time we have. I want to thank okay. my guest, Karen Parsons, is founder and president of Sweet Blackberry. It's a nonprofit foundation founded in 2005 that has a mission to bring little-known stories of African-American achievement to children. Karen, thank you so much for taking some time with us and enjoy your trip to Southwest Florida. Thanks so much. This was nice. Parsons will be on the Florida Gulf Coast University campus tomorrow, March 30th, for a presentation called Journey of Unsung Heroes. It starts at 6 and is free and open to everyone. You can find a link to register on our website, wgcu.org gcl. A little nod into the future. While on campus tomorrow, Parsons is going to come by the studio to record her episode of Three Song Stories, so keep an eye out for that down the road. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. Tara also gets a production credit today. For now, thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.